Acts 7, verse 20. Stephen's sermon continued. And uh, so today we're going to talk about how Stephen's going to talk about uh, God sending Moses. And this is a key thing because what is it that the Pharisees often tell Jesus? We are Moses' disciples. And, they, and Jesus said, if you were Moses' disciples, then you would believe me because what? Because Moses testified of me. So it's key as Stephen is laying his foundation for the gospel, which he is passionate about, that he bring them back through the Old Testament, which they revere so much. So our first section is Acts 7, 20-22, when God is going to send Moses on the scene. And you would think, from a worldly perspective, if he's going to send this great leader on the scene, that he would send him to an affluent family, that he would have, that he would have, um, that he would much heralded in his birth, because this is going to be a great leader. But as is so often the case with God, as, and even with his own son, that does not initially happen. Let us read from Act chapter 7, verses 20 to 22. In which time Moses was born and was exceedingly fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was mighty in words and deeds. You ever think about the fact that Moses, as an adopted son of the Pharaoh, or grandson of the Pharaoh, had an opportunity to possibly lead Egypt. And it says that even while he was in Egypt, he was mighty in words and deeds. I think that's very interesting because we often don't think about Moses' time in Egypt that much. Because we think about Moses being born, Moses being nurtured and weaned by his own mother, which was a providence of God. And then Moses being raised in Egypt, but then leaving Egypt for the wilderness. But even in Egypt, he was mighty in word and deed. And I recently heard a, a preacher say, I actually think I've heard it a couple times, that the interesting thing about Moses is that God took someone who thought they were somebody, he humbled them and made them believe they were a nobody, so that he could then say, I can take a nobody and make them a somebody. That is the message, in a nutshell, to me, of Moses' life. 
Because as we read on, we will find that Moses in his youth, and by youth I mean about 40 years old, that makes me feel really good because I'm 40, but Moses in his youth thought that he was going to deliver the people of Israel from bondage, and he thought that they would understand that intrinsically, and they would embrace that. But he had more lessons to learn before that would take place. I was talking to Brother Mike uh, during the break and talking about God's timing and talking about how God doesn't usually give us the, the answers five days or five months before he does something. He shows up right on time. And indeed, we talked about that in the breaking of bread when we talked about in the fullness of time. Christ came. So, looking at this, um, I just think it's really interesting that he's cast out. Why was he cast out? If we look into the scriptures, we find in Exodus that the Pharaoh wanted to kill all the baby boys because the, the, um, the people of God had waxed mighty in the earth. And the midwife's they were instructed to kill the baby boys, but they feared God. And they went before Pharaoh and they said, well, the babies come faster than we can get there. And so once they're alive, we will not harm them. I mean, once they're out of the womb, we will not harm them. And so then the Pharaoh goes to the next degree and he says, cast all the baby boys in the river. And so Amram and Jacobad have an, have an issue when Moses is born. They already have a son and a daughter. And now Moses is born and they keep him in their house, hidden for three months. Thank goodness there was no social media back then. Because I don't know how anybody would hide something like that for three months today. But they did. And then they put him in an ark. And it says here that Pharaoh's daughter took him up. And uh, raised him. But she was not a mother, so she needed a nurse to wean him for her. And Miriam just happened to be standing on the banks of the river, Nile River, saying and said... I know a perfect nurse. And she ran and got Jacobed, the child's mother. And the child had an opportunity to be weaned by his mother. And no doubt, in that three or four years, Jacobed constantly told Moses that he was a Hebrew and that God had a special plan for his life. I wonder if we could read by way of cross-reference Hebrews 11.23. Hebrews 11.23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. How key is that? They were not afraid of the king's edict. They said, we are going to 
to have this child, we are going to nurture this child, and when the time comes, we will hide him, because we know that God has a special plan for him. I don't know how they knew. I don't know if God spoke to them personally. We don't read it in the scriptures. But they knew. God does speak to our spirits. And then I see this quote, which I thought was just so good. And it's, it's good, a reminder for the children of Israel, but it's also a good reminder for us. God is never late and rarely early. He is always exactly right on time. His time. And the thing that trips us up, the thing that trips me up, is the His time. Because I will say to God, well, God, you you should have done this three weeks ago. Where are you? I remember when I was told in uh, May of 2016 you should get your van off the road as soon as possible. And at that time I had every Sunday in the month of June booked with different speaking engagements. So I'm like, I literally have to travel around West Michigan every Sunday in the month of June. And Every Sunday in the month of June, I went out to my red van that I wasn't supposed to be driving. And every Sunday in the month of June, it got me where I needed to go and got me back to home. And then, partially throughout July. And as we were driving into Grand Rapids to pick up my new van at my grandparents' home, something shifted in my car. And my mom said, this car is not safe to drive anymore. Literally that day, as we were driving in, my car was absolutely not safe for me to ride in anymore. But God showed up right on time. And the van that he gave me three years ago, I have very rarely had in the garage it's been on the road consistently other than a few accidents but those are not don't have to do with routine auto maintenance but I'm just so thankful for God's provision and it seems like every time I start complaining that's when I tend to get the richest blessings from God because he puts up with me even though I am imperfect. Because he remembers my frame. He knows that I'm dust. Okay, the second section. God convicts Moses. First, he sent Moses onto the scene as a baby. Then as Moses grew, Moses gets a conviction that he needs to do something about the situation of his people. Acts seven twenty three through twenty eight. Acts seven twenty three through twenty eight. And when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. 
And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was opposed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them apart again, saying, Sirs, and sirs, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? Why do you wrong to one another? But he, but he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? So Moses, thinking that he's proved his loyalty, thinking that these people will know that he has come to lead them to freedom, which growing up I, I didn't uh, realize all this, this detail that's in Acts chapter 7. I'm not sure how Stephen was privy to it. But it certainly puts a, another dimension to the story. And uh, so Moses is this young man who is mighty in word and deed and has a lot of wisdom and training and leadership being growing up in the Pharaoh's house. And he thinks, well, they're just going to understand me and I'm just going to, I'm going to liberate them. And then what's their answer? Well, it's the answer that most people give from a human standpoint when someone tries to take charge of the situation. Who made you ruler over us? Or the modern vernacular would be, who died and left you in charge? I've, I've heard that a few times. So... Um, but Moses wasn't ready. You see, a lot of times God gives us a vision for what he will do in our lives, but then there's a preparation period. Moses spent 40 years in Egypt, and then he spent 40 years on the back of the desert in the wilderness, and then he spent 40 years leading the children of Israel. Three different phases of his life. In Egypt, he learned leadership skills to lead people. On the desert, he learned leadership skills through leading sheep as a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro. When he's 80 years old, after he's been beaten down and Realize he's a nobody. That's when God calls to him out of the burning bush and says, Moses, I have a plan for you. I wonder if we might look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Exodus 2, verses 11 to 15. Came to pass in those days when Moses was drowned that he went out to his brethren and looked at their hurt. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked those way and that. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and had it buried, hit him in the sand. And when he went 
Now it's the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companions? And he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So we see here that Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh because he thought that Pharaoh was going to kill him. And so on the surface, that seems like a really self-serving reason to leave Egypt. Of course, if you read in the Hebrews, it gives us another layer, which is that he did not want to, he wanted to be true to Christ, it says, rather than to, um, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And we see how God interweaves everything into his story, into our stories, to fulfill his will. Yes, we should seek the will of God with all our hearts. I believe that. But sometimes when there's two equally good options and we're struggling to figure out what to do, the best thing to do is to move forward because God can't speak to someone who is not moving. And the Bible says that man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. And my goodness, have I seen that. I see that in uh, my current job and my ministry. God is so good. Melody Carlson from the Christmas Angel Project said this, Sometimes we have to let our dreams go in order to allow God to bring them back to us in His way and in His timing. And I definitely have gone through wildernesses in my life where I didn't realize and didn't know what God was doing, but He was always at work. From a simple meeting with a friend at a summer camp, I came to know the wonderful place that I now work at, Potter's House Christian School. And I know that God, by divine intervention, orchestrated that. Because as a homeschool student, I never in a million years thought that I'd be working in a school. But God had other plans. And His plans are good. So, we see in this passage how God is working in Moses. And in this section that we just read, we see how he thought, well, I'm going to be this great deliverer. And they didn't understand. They said, who made you a ruler over us? And then... He leaves because um, he was afraid that they knew that he had killed an Egyptian. Has no idea where he's going, no idea what he's going to do, but God knows. Because God led him to the well, well of a man 
named Jethro, and his daughters were there, and they couldn't lift the stone from the mouth of the well. But he does, and he waters their flock. And then they tell their father Jethro about him. And he ends up marrying one of the daughters and becoming a part of the family and becoming a shepherd. I wonder if for any moment he kind of thought back and said, wait a second, I was, I was a ruler in Egypt. I was in the family of rulers in Egypt and now I'm on the back of a desert herding sheep. What is going on here? If you're anything like me, you've been in a situation like that. You've been in situations where you don't know what God is doing. Or you're trying to do the right thing. Sometimes you feel punished for doing the right thing. Sometimes you feel like, if I, if I just did it the world's way, then I could get that thing that I most desire. But you know what? Whenever I, think, whenever I start to think that way, I think about Hagar. I think about the fact that Abram and Sarah... They wanted a child so badly that they succumbed to cultural norms. And Sarai said to Abram, Take my maid Hagar. It may be that God will raise up a child for me from her. Because it was culturally appropriate in that day and culturally spoken that if a child of another woman was born upon the need, then it would be the woman's on whose knees it was born. And so even though Hagar was the mother, the biological mother, Sarah would have the son and they would have their heir. But God said no. God said, God said Ishmael's nation will be great, but you will still have a great nation from your very loins and Sarah will have a baby. And when Jesus himself, I believe, visited Abraham about a year before this happened, what did Sarah do? She laughed in her tent and she said, I was not laughing. And God said, you were laughing and I heard you. Imagine God saying that to you. Audibly. Why did you laugh, Sarah? I was not laughing. Yes, you were. I heard you. And yet, this is the God with whom we have to do that he still gave them their baby. God is not looking for perfect people because he knows he won't find them. Instead, he is looking for those who will surrender and realize they can't do it on their own. They must do it through his power alone. And that is the lesson that Moses had to learn. God couldn't use a brash, I know everything Person, He had to use one who said, I can't do it. Because then and only then is God able to say, okay, you finally get it. You can't do it. But now that you can't do it, go your way and I will tell you what to do. And I will do it. And I will get the glory. That's what he's saying to you and to me today.
Our third section, God prepares and commissions Moses. Acts 7, 29. Acts 7, 29. To 34. Acts 7, 29 to 34. Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begot two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of the Mount of Sinai an angel of the Lord, in flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at this sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for this place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee to Egypt. And verse 35 says, This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. You see, when Moses was going... About this at 40, he was going in his own strength. He had not been commissioned to do this job. But the 80-year-old Moses was commissioned by God himself and told by God, you need to do this. You know, if I were God, I, I would have given up on Moses because Moses argued for quite a while but God said no. I think about that a lot of times when people say, well, I'll pray about the situation. Specifically about social issues or about voting for godly individuals to take office in our land. They say, I'll, I'll pray about it and God, God will work. Yes, God wants us to pray, but God often requires action. He could have chosen any other person after Moses said no, but he continued to talk to Moses, and he would not free the people of Israel from Egypt until Moses went. Do we comprehend this? God has a purpose for you. He wants you to do his will. He has jobs that only you can do, and he's not going to let you get away with it. I tried. For nine years, after my salvation, I said, God, if I was healthy, then I could serve you. And I'm here to tell you, save your breath, because the God who made you will give you the power to do with what he made you to do. He does not... Call the qualified, he qualifies the call. 
He doesn't want to call someone who has it all together, who can do it all themselves, because then they will take the credit. Need we be reminded that he called a barren woman named Sarah to be the mother of many nations. Then as if that weren't enough, human irony, he called a barren woman named Rebecca to continue the line. Are we seeing a pattern here? And then, who was it that God used to deliver uh, Israel when there was a famine in the land? It wasn't the child of, of the very fertile Leah. It was the child of the barren Rachel. In God's timing, God sent Rachel Joseph. Remember, Rachel said to Jacob, give me children or I'm going to die. And Jacob said, am I God? I think of this often in, in regard to my, my marital status because I have to remember what it says in the Proverbs. Houses and lands are from your parents. But a prudent wife can only come from the Lord. My parents can pray every day as I know they do that God will bring the right person when the time is right. But only God can provide her. Only God can prepare her. Only God can prepare me. Only Him. I wonder if we could look at Exodus 3.14 and then Exodus 4.10-14. Both of these passages quickly. Again, if you get there, please stand and read. Exodus 3.14 followed by Exodus 4.10-14. And it goes on, and God says to Moses, He will be your prophet. I will speak to you, I will tell you what to say, and you will be to him as God. 
and he will be your prophet. Imagine that kind of responsibility. You're going to speak to Aaron the very words of God, and then he's going to speak them on your behalf because of your slow tongue. And yet, that is what God said. He said, go your way, and I will show you what to speak. He didn't give him a script. Notice that he didn't give him a script. He said, as long as you memorize this, you'll be fine. He didn't give him that. He said, go your way first, and I will show you what you will say. Jesus said similar things in the New Testament. He said, don't worry about what you'll say. You'll be brought before kings and magistrates, and they will persecute you, and they will kill you for my name's sake. But don't worry about what you'll say before them, because in the very hour that you need something to say, I will tell you what to say. I've seen this in my life. And I'm so thankful for a God who hears. And a God who answers. Several centuries ago, a Japanese emperor commissioned an artist to paint a bird. A number of months passed, then several years, and still no painting was brought to the palace. Finally, the emperor became so exasperated that he went to the artist's home to demand an explanation. Instead of making excuses, the artist placed a blank canvas on the easel. In less than an hour, he completed a painting that was to become a brilliant masterpiece. When the emperor asked the reason for the delay, the artist showed him the armloads of drawings of feathers, wings, heads, and feet. Then he explained that all of this research and study had been necessary before he could complete the painting. See, 40 years in Egypt was necessary to be prepared to go back to deliver the people. 40 years in the wilderness herding sheep. I'm sure Moses thought about this whenever the children of Israel complained that maybe he wished that he could be back with the sheep because they don't talk back. But they prepared him to lead them. And then he probably kind of thought, well, it's going to be a pretty short uh, assignment. We're not that far from the land of Canaan. And then, of course, the 12 spies came in and 10 of them said, we can't do it. We can't take the land. There's giants. And only two of them, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Joseph, the son of Nun, said, We can go. We should go. The Lord has delivered them into our hands. And so they were the only ones who would survive to go into the promised land, including Moses. He was not perfect. There was a time when he was told to speak to the rock and water would come forth. And he said this. He said, Shall I give you water? And God said, wait a second, Moses. It's not your water to give. It's my water to give. 
And so because you put yourself above me, because you said, shall I give you water, because you hit the rock in your anger, you will not enter the promised land. You can stand and you can gaze in, you can look at it, but you won't enter. It's kind of interesting that these Pharisees who said they were Moses' disciples, they kind of leave that part out. Moses wasn't perfect. The only perfect one was Jesus Christ. Moses needed redemption as much as you or I. And as we come into this Christmas season, I hope that we will think much about the redemption that is brought to us from the manger to the cross. I just want to close in prayer and I hope that for anybody here that might not know the Lord because I can't assume that because you come to church every Sunday that you know the Lord see it's not about that it's about having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ it's about taking the, up the cross daily and following him and I just pray and hope that for all of you. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. Doesn't matter what your parents did. Doesn't matter what your friends did. Only matters what you did. Peter said there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so today I hope if you have not yet trusted Jesus, that you will be saved through his name by the blood of his cross. Lord, I thank you for the time that we've had in your word today. I pray that it would be uh, a ministering uh, uh, balm to our souls. Thank you for showing in this book of Acts how good you are to us. And may we be as Moses and be more willing to serve you than to serve the pleasures of sin for a short season. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.